Uh, good afternoon and good evening. Uh, welcome to Perspectives on Energy. I'm Guillermo Sabatier, Director of International Services for HSI, um, and your host. So joining us today is Dr. David Gatti. He is P the PhD and Senior Fellow at University of Georgia, also the Associate Professor of Engineering. Uh, David, welcome to the show. Thank you, Guillermo. It's a real pleasure to be here. Thank you. I, we're great to have you. Um, I had the pleasure of hearing uh, you speak at the Association of Rural Electric Generating, Generating Co-ops uh, conference a few weeks ago. So definitely had a lot of um, eye-opening things to talk about. Can you tell us more about your research area on, on energy policy? Uh, yeah. So Guillermo, we, uh, I, of course, I'm in the space of energy primarily, but more specifically, it's energy policy. My background is engineering. I have about 14 years of private experience before I came to University of Georgia. But uh, over the past 10 years or so, we have kind of narrowed our energy research to one that's uh, focused primarily on security aspects of U.S. energy and U.S. energy policy. I work with uh, a couple of fellows at University of Georgia Center for International Trade and Security. It's uh, Justin Conrad and Josh Massey. Those two guys are international affairs experts. Okay. And a few years ago, I uh, noticed and started to recognize that we were that, that U.S. energy issues were really taking on some global aspects they hadn't in quite a quite a while. I got interested in the security part and was was fortunate to cross paths with Justin and Josh, who actually helped put this in a context that is uh, global and situated within the geopolitical aspects of. Uh, you know what the what the U.S. is doing position on the global stage. So we are really right now, Guillermo, focused uh, on energy security, mm -hmm. and it's fairly topical. I mean, with what's going on right now over in Eastern Europe, yeah. energy security has risen back up or has moved to the fore uh, of uh, of interesting aspects of energy, critical aspects of energy. So I work kind of wear two hats: engineering and uh, international affairs, international security. And I think those two worlds work real well together. Hopefully we get to some of those topics tonight for this morning. Excuse me, it's not time where I am. <laughs> well, I think they're, they're, they're at one o'clock over there. So, so the, the, they just all got back from lunch, I imagine. So okay. <laughs> you're getting ready for dinner over here. That's so, right. So, so yeah, I, I understand you've also testified before Cong Congress at some point though. That's, that, that's right. Back in December 2019, I was invited to testify before the House Energy and Commerce Committee, and it was really on the, on the, the national security and climate security aspects, mm -hmm. primarily of nuclear power, but mm -hmm. energy in general. But I testified, I think it was about December the 5th, 6th, somewhere in there, 2019. It was just before COVID hit. Right. It was a very interesting time to be in D.C., it was it was actually good interaction with the committee members, and they're they're very they're very interested in what what we had to say. We're fortunate to be able to do it. But yeah, that was that was probably one of the highlights of the last few years was being able to do that. Well, well you know, it. I know you and I had a had a brief conversation about this at one point, and it was it, it's it's the engineers or the calculators are finally part of the conversation, right? When it comes to making this this transition to uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's 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 a environmentally friendly uh, energy sources, right? Uh, and, yeah. and it is 
so eye-opening now, right? <laughs> that that uh, a lot of the views have changed, and and one of the things that that was very impactful, right? That uh, from your presentation at that conference was uh, looking at energy as having an intrinsic national security value, not just a commodity, right? Uh, All right. Just uh, t tell us more about that. <clears throat> so this is where we're going to run out of time, dear Mo. Right now, yeah. you've opened up a couple of really good topics. I'm glad you mentioned the part about transition because mm -hmm. that's, that's probably what we're locked in on right now. Right. Over the past, and, and let, me, let me preface this by, by just pointing out, we are, we are committed to uh, impact and uh, climate decisions here in our research. Uh, group. That's that's a serious concern. It's nothing to take lightly. Climate change issues are we consider those to be national security issues. Mm -hmm. But what we what one thing that we've tried to draw some attention to, you just did, Guillermo, you mentioned energy transition. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes that that conversation is driven for the most part by one of two things. And you you mentioned them just now. It's uh, we're looking in the US at energy either as a market commodity something that competes and probably the interest that you and i have that's common here is we're primarily talking about electricity but energy in general <clears throat> it's either looked at as a commodity market commodity or it's a climate change issue right now the dominant driver of uh, u.s energy and climate policy and the debate here in the u.s is around climate issues around carbon reduction what we are trying to emphasize is when we put dates, when we say that the U.S. is going to be at a certain CO2 level mm -hmm. by 2030, 2035, or 2050, <clears throat> that if those setting those dates is one thing, but right. we have to think about that there is going to be a period of transition here where if you look back in history at the U.S., what we've always done, U.S., when we un unlock or discover a new energy resource, we always add that to our industrial base, to our economy. And, and what's, what that's done for us over time is it has increased energy diversity, which means energy technology diversity, and it has allowed our industrial base and our economy to be flexible, resilient, and adaptable to changes, not only domestically, but also globally. You can Right. see now with what's going on in Eastern Europe, we are able to respond to that because we have a diverse energy resource base here in the U.S. So our push, Guillermo, is to pay close attention to that transition period because if you try too hard to change a real, the world's largest economy, the greatest military, most advanced industrial base in the world, if you try to kind of enforce in engineering, what we call a step function change, something mm -hmm. that's very, very hard to do with a complex system, you might get some results that aren't good. So we're we're trying to maintain energy diversity, flexibility, resilience, and adaptability, and focus on that transition rather than simply try to move our economy right. towards lower carbon. We, we, we you actually use some good words. Our catchphrase for this is. Security centric, globally engaged, which means working with emerging economies right. and climate inclusive. We are trying to pull those three together. And that is a definite, I mean, it's a, it sounds like a difficult balancing act, but in reality, if planned right, it's, 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 it's possible, economical even, and, yeah. and, yeah. and reliable, right? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it is. It's it. Yeah, if, if you keep some basic principles in mind, particularly the one about diversity, that is. Mm -hmm. I understand. I get the point about coal and natural gas and oil, right. uh, but simply uh, as a target or as a, a as a goal function, saying we're going to divest from those. Well, maybe maybe we need to think a little caref more carefully about that before we actually try to divest. Maybe maybe we need to let the system adapt to it first. But right. Yeah. You're you're but but your your point's well taken here, my boy. Well, thank you, thank you. And 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 speaking on on the topic of uh, transition, right? It, it's I'm noticing that more and more utilities, if they're close to a pipeline or they can build a pipeline for gas, they'll they will then pretty much the majority of their of their fleet is going to, is going to be running on natural gas. It's a lot cleaner than coal or oil. It's more reliable, but we're becoming more and more dependent on a single point failure of, of natural gas. And if you don't yeah. have enough, if you don't have enough of a storage facility on site for other fuels like liquid, you, they're going to find themselves in trouble. Now go on. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh no. In fact, you're in Florida, right? You're no, you're a you're a Floridian right now. That's where you live. Yes. I think Florida, I think Florida is about 77 or 78 percent natural gas. And I've mm -hmm. spent some time down there myself speaking with a lot of folks from the power sector. But you're you're right. There um, I mean, I'm a big natural gas fan and love the stuff. It's been a um, a lifesaver when it comes to reducing CO2 emissions right. in the US. In fact, it is the primary driver. Right. why U.S. CO2 emissions have gone down like they have over the past 15 years. But nonetheless, you're talking about a flow resource, which is gas in a pipe. Um, and not only, again, as long as the pipes are flowing, things are great. Mm -hmm. But when those pipes, when there are problems, and in fact, in a state like Florida, a state like Georgia, if we have a problem three states over in the Gulf of Mexico, right. we've got a problem in Georgia with our mm -hmm. power sector. Plus, we are just, you know, again, we're not big fans here in our research group of a single being overly dependent on a single resource. Right. A little bit problematic. I know the folks in Florida, they look at, uh, you know, they look at the state of Florida and they always they always like to use the phrase, that's a long bendy pipe that goes out of the Gulf of Mexico and has, has to head down to Miami. That's, yeah. that, you know, that's an, that's an engineer's concern right there. Right. It, 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 it is concerned. And when I used to work for one of the major utilities here in Florida, that was one of the things that we would always train and drill on and run simulations. And even a simulation, it's the transition was, you know, was drilled upon and done. But really, it's just a matter of relying on the, the stored liquid fuel and then have all those combined cycle plans switch over, which you and I both know it's not always a smooth transition. <laughs> no, no, that's, that, that, that's right. That's right. It's not. Yeah, um, and, and, and it's just what three pipelines. It's just three separate pipelines, and then and then two of them actually like uh, join up in the middle of the state. So that's right. That's right. We, of course, we know what happened with the Colonial Pipeline recently. When you have pipeline issues, there are some there are some very tight bottlenecks there that mm -hmm. uh, we don't necessarily have the transmission capacity for as we trend towards more and more natural gas. Right. Well, and. Another aside here, in, Flo in Florida, almost every single, almost every single business, commercial establishment, industrial establishment, for sure, has their own uh, their own uh, diesel generator or their own natural gas fired generation on site. 
just enough to run their business. So uh, as you can imagine, what happens during during a, a, a hurricane here sometimes is is that now they're all, they are are competing for that uh, that gas resource, right? So yeah. that that puts about a, a constraint, right? On luckily they've been able to manage that balance pretty well when it comes to starting up generation again and the areas that are affected. But yeah. it, in a larger event, I, I could see how that could become a problem at some point, right? With every single facility yeah. running. Yeah, I think we I think we had a I mean that sounds like a miniature uh, Irma storm or Ir Irma yeah. issue that Texas had forced just on a much larger scale. But that competition that you're talking about there, mm -hmm. you know, in those in those critical periods of time, you know, not only competition for the resource itself, but also the price of that competition is pretty steep at that point. Oh, it certainly is, and that is, that becomes a market price now, right? So that 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 gets passed on to the consumers. Yeah. So, so while we're doing all this, right, as a nation, I mean, we are performing this great experiment on, on, on one of the biggest, it's, it's a vital key to infrastructure, right? And we're performing an experiment on it as it's running. So remember you mentioned that during your, your, your presentation. Uh, how is China responding or how have they responded in, in, you know, during all this? So China sees... China sees opportunities. Uh, I'll, I'll give a, just a 30-second briefing here. Um, you know, the way we, you know, you and I mentioned at the, top, at the top of this talk that our conversation around energies as a market commodity or climate issue, when you look at countries like China who, without argument, this is a bipartisan agreement here that that is, China is our greatest competitor right now. Right. No one's going to argue that. This competition is very ideological, that is, China would like to see the U.S. for the most part vacate Asia. Now, mm -hmm. part of what China's gonna use in this competition is they are going to use energy and energy technology resources to attract emerging economies to be collaborators and partners with them on that. China, whose energy, energy industries are state-owned enterprises, they are using those state-owned enterprises as extensions of the state to meet geopolitical objectives. We're not set up that way. Hmm. Uh, so the downside to that is as we think about rejiggering, reorganizing, restructuring our entire industrial economy to meet carbon objectives, our industrial base, energy resources and energy technologies are going to get smaller, narrower, shallower. China, on the other hand, is going in the other direction. Fossil fuels, nuclear, renewables, batteries, they are going all in on all energy resources. The two concerns there, they have a more competitive industrial base than the U.S. will. They also will have more flexibility adaptability mm -hmm. when there are times of, of domestic or global disturbances. They're also a more attractive partner with emerging economies because they have more to offer. The U.S., if the U.S. retreats from things like the fossil fuel network or in worse, uh, nuclear, mm -hmm. we don't have as many opportunities to engage with those emerging economies. So China is going to leverage this climate conversation uh, to their advantage to make geopolitical objectives while we're trying to, you know, just solve climate issues. 
China's not in this for climate change. That's not their objective here. Their objective is geopolitical advantage over the U.S. and Western allies. So it sounds almost as if they're they're, they're weaponizing uh, climate policy in a way. Perfect, perfect characterization here, Mo. That is exactly what they're doing. They are weaponizing energy policy, climate policy uh, to meet their their objective. You're you're absolutely right. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, so that's that's that should be a you know that at that point that you know. To, to what we had talked about at the top of the show, that's why we are trying to shift this conversation about U.S. Mm-hmm. energy policy into the security lane so that our policy is security-centric, globally engaged, and climate-inclusive because first and foremost, energy is a national security issue. It just, the value of it, though, is not monetized. That is, you don't get a bill with what is the national security value of energy. It's not in there. So, but but your weaponization characterization here, Mo, is is spot on. Well, well, I took that from 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 your presentation. So, so that I mean, it it makes. But I was giving you, I was giving you good credit there, here, Mo. Just take. Uh, I'll take it. I'll take it. But but you know, the credit is yours. (laughs) So. Still a big concern because uh, they they we haven't built a new uh, we only built one nuclear power plant in like it was since since nineteen nineteen eighty Vogel and then and then that's behind schedule but whereas China and Russia China has really been investing in in research and construction of uh, nuclear facilities right right that's right we uh we've got two reactors in the U S under construction they're here in Georgia Vogel units. Three and four been some challenges there, both on both on the time schedule and the cost. Uh, we haven't we've been out of the business. The U.S. has been out of business since the '70s for the most part. So you're right, we're behind in that. And I think that what we're seeing at Vogel is a little bit of a reflection of us just simply being out of practice. The concern there, though, to your point, both China and Russia are ramping up and have been ramping up, and they they make no secret about it. Their objective is to own the market for nuclear construction, nuclear expertise, nuclear plant operation, spent fuel waste, you know, an entire full nuclear fuel cycle. They want to own that market in the Eurasian uh, uh, area, which essentially is uh, where most, if not all, of the economic growth is going to occur over the next 20 or 30 years. That's a, that is a, that is a real concern because we all know what uh, nuclear power and nuclear technology is. It's the single most uh, most important energy resource on Earth, and we do not want to vacate that space and leave norms and standards up to a country like China dominating the global and, and essentially taking over global stewardship over it. They want to do that, and we've got to make some major inroads in our own domestic policy to oh, essentially block them from doing it well well and and i just saw them i mean it, it was uh, i was reading an article on um saudi arabia uh, you know is, is is opening bids for uh, uh for building their their first nuclear facility and, right. and the the same a korean uh, uh, firm that built the ones in uh in uae it seems to be the one that's that's leading all those bids 
Saudi Arabia, but you know, China has put in a bid, Russia put in a bid, and I think the French as well, right? Yeah, yeah. For, for now, it seems Korea is is ahead of everybody else. But you know, there's going to come. There will come a point where where China and Russia will will be more competitive, right? Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Like we're in Pakistan, Pakistan, China more. Yeah. And yeah. I, I I'm not even sure whether the U.S. or any U.S. firms even even put in a a, a proposal for that for those projects. So they yeah, U.S. firms did. I won't I won't be able to name the. Companies generally, we have uh, some big names that do it. I, I won't throw a name out there because I'm not exactly sure. But you're right, we we did, but it was not a it was not a tip of the spear uh, participation. It was almost like we were just going to kind of be a, a a service aspect of like the South Korean um, the bid was. But we're we're just not. I don't know the last time. I, I probably could look it up. I had a few minutes. The last time that we actually partnered with a, a that we were actually driving development of nuclear in another country. Right. It used to be that we were the only players in town, but that's changed. <clears throat> well, 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 for me, it used to be the French, and and, and now we're, we're going to get into the, the, a brief discussion on 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 small modular reactors, micro reactors, and and what place they'll have in the future because of the fact that it's dispatchability and deployability. Um, right. Whereas so, that. That's something that we maybe we need to be looking at. I mean, what's your take on that? That that I think, Guillermo, you're you're spot on. I think that's all we're going to be looking at. I, my 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 bet, you know, I bet you uh, breakfast at your favorite restaurant in Florida, wherever that may be. We won't build any more large reactors like right. we've got going here in Augusta. You know, these are eleven hundred megawatt reactors. We are, to your point, going to be moving to SMRs, three hundred megawatts and down. Uh, but we still, right now, we've only we've got two players. We've got new scales out in Utah, <clears throat> and we've got uh, Bill Gates's um, going on out there in Wyoming. That's a molten salt sodium cooled reactor, uh, very advanced reactors, really really nice designs on the one in Wyoming. But we we still are going to have to get you know in order for us to come to to come up go up the learning curve and down the right. cost curve. We've got to build numerous of those reactors, which means we need a book of business out there. We've got to have a demand signal. We've got to have somebody that wants them. Um, we've got, we've still got a lot of, a lot of room to make up, but I, I agree with you. It's going to be SMRs for, right. for, the, for the foreseeable future. And, and it will be interesting because, I mean, I hate to say it, but I think we are, we are behind. We are behind. We are behind China and definitely behind Russia as well. I mean, yeah. definitely behind the French as well, because the French, for the most part, the majority of their fleet is nuclear and it's dispatchable. Yeah, is, yeah. And I think here is this, you know, this might be a you know a point of contention perhaps a little bit, but I think here in the U.S., it is not a technology issue we're dealing with. We can, you if you just if you unleash our U.S. nuclear industry, they they can do just about anything. There's nothing they can't do. We've got a political uh, right. problem with nuclear in the U.S., and we have a somewhat, generally, if you want to call it a populism problem. There has been a narrative that's been anti-nuclear right. for many years out there, and uh, the general public, um, not, they are not to blame for any of this, but they, they have generally been led to believe that renewables are equal 
on equal terms with something like nuclear, they just simply are not. It's Renewables are a replacement for nuclear power. So we've, we've, got some, we've got some work to do, and I say we, those of us in engineering, nuclear engineers, you name it, we've got work to do to go out and make a case to the general public and to policymakers that nuclear is going to not just be a, a side dish in this moving forward to address climate change, it needs to be at the tip of the spear. Tip of the spear. And, yeah. and you know, like, like, like that, is a, the, that is an important challenge to face while at the same time, we're going to face one of the biggest uh, knowledge and talent drains there will be for the, the engineering discipline. Uh, I was listening to yeah. a podcast cool. the other day where we're looking at 1.2 million uh, job vacancies in the next five, six years for engineers. And it won't just be our industry; it'll be other industries and the engineers. So they'll be poaching engineers, you know, away from ours and that sort of thing. So we have a challenge ahead of us. Yeah, we, we do. It's um, it's interesting you bring that up because I know when you talk when I talk with students about electric power sector, it's not the shiny object that it used to be when I was coming along. When you, maybe when you were coming, you're still a young whippersnapper, so I don't know. <laughs> but when I was coming along, it was a shiny object. It's not that anymore. Uh, so uh, to your point, we have got to address this brain drain and gap that we're probably going to face sooner than later. Right. And it's and I think it's here I mean, because, uh, I mean, I, I look at the different universities. Right. And, and the enrollment rates, forget about graduation rates, just the enrollment rates in these programs uh, in some places have severely declined over the last five, six years. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. And, and they're all shifting away to, to other STEM fields, but it's not not quite what it used to be and not certainly not where it needs to be. No, so. we got some we got some sales work to do. We got to oh, yeah. we got to sell them and we got to elevate it as, a, as an important issue that it is. And that right. you know, students can really engage in a critical sector here. Oh, yeah. yeah. Especially where we are to compete in a, in a national security stage when it comes to energy. And that's kind of where, where I think we want to we want to uh, conclude our, our 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 like closing message right for yeah. for our yeah. show today is is what would you say in this last minute that we have left yeah but i think i think our the challenge that we're trying to address here at the university of georgia is to simply shift the conversation about u.s energy u.s climate policy uh, from the market commodity lane from the climate lane over into the national security lane Right. To get that point across that energy is probably the core national security issue in our country, apart from the military. Nothing is more core to our national security than energy. Right. And I definitely agree with you on that. And, and uh, I have to tell you that this is, as more people hear, you know, it becomes more impactful. And this is definitely a change that we need to make. Um, Climate change is real, and we're working towards 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 solving those problems. But at the same time, we just can't get there at any cost. We have to make this this, this transition, bearing in mind uh, our national security and and what our, what our geopolitical position is, and and, and will will remain to be as we move forward. Great. I think we have a few questions here, but I'm not sure we have time to answer them. <laughs> I think the yeah, I think the clock ticked on us there, year month. Yeah. All right. But um, again, th this is, uh, is a great topic, and it is something that that is. Um, I know that that it's it's the looming summer that's coming here with the heat waves, and how some places have, have announced that they're going to have energy shortages. 
just another example of, of uh, this national security issue, right? If enough of an area yeah. is short on energy, you know, we're going to see some problems. So that's yeah. luckily us in the Eastern interconnection, we're okay, but in, in, in the Midwest and ERCOT and even WEC, it's, it's, they're, they're facing some challenges this summer. That's right. worrisome. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. Hey, I think that's all the time we have today. Um, and I go ahead and thank you so much for being on the show today. It was a great discussion. We clicked quickly, ran out of time. Um, I wish I, I could have treated everybody. Well, I appreciate you having me. I just appreciate you having me here. Well, thanks for being here. And and again, we, we really cut it short because that presentation you gave was 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 amazing and and really eye-opening and uh, can be applied to anybody who watches it. So so again, th thank you. You have to give it any time to anybody, just call it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, uh, thank you, Think Tech Hawaii, for, for having us today. And uh, again, uh, great to be on Perspectives on Energy. Thank you. Thank you so much for watching Think Tech Hawaii. If you like what we do, please like us and click the subscribe button on YouTube and the follow button on Vimeo. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn, and donate to us at thinktechhawaii.com. Mahalo.